Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Father, I pray that you would hear my prayer right now, Lord, and I pray that you would draw near to us. We are not worthy uh, to have you speak to us, and yet you're such a loving God, you do. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for all of our hearts that are hearing this to be soft to you, to be sensitive to you, uh, to be aware, to be awakened. And Lord, even if these are old and basic truths for many of us, I pray that they would come home with new power and there would be a fresh sense of awe and wonder at who you really are. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. So like I said, we're going to do a compare and contrast, so to speak, between Christianity and Islam. Now, why did I choose those two world religions? Well, they're the two largest. Uh, There's roughly 8 billion people living on planet Earth today. Uh, Roughly 2.4 would profess to be Christians, so that's about 30% of the world population. And I think it's about 1.9 would uh, profess to be Islamic, and that's about 24-25%. The third largest religion would be Hindu. And there, there are some people that are saying that Muslims might even um, become the largest world religion, even in our lifetime. I don't know if that's true or not. But so what I wanted to do to start out is really to look at the similarities between Christianity and Islam. Because there are a lot of similarities, and I think we need to be honest about that. There are a lot of people in the world today, and this is whether you're on a university campus in the southeastern United States or around the world, There is very much a pluralistic mindset, is there not? I'm sure you have run into it. It's like, well, all religions are equal. Uh, There's a mountain, and at the top is God. But there are many different paths to go up that mountain and to get to God. And a lot of people have the attitude, Jesus is great. And and if you like Jesus, if he's your favorite, if, if Christianity brings you some sort of peace, that's great for you. I actually had this conversation with somebody about two weeks ago said, but Christianity doesn't bring me any peace. So I don't believe in Christianity. I'm going to believe in something else. Have you ever met somebody like that, had a conversation? And, and, and the idea is they're, they're all the same. They're all equal. And if you're ever having a conversation with someone like that, or if you've ever been tempted to believe something like that, it's helpful to be honest about the places where there are similarities between Christianity and Islam. So let me just, uh, Islam has five basic tenets. And it's been this way for a long time. The first is, if you want to be a faithful Muslim, you have to make a profession of faith. You have to go to the mosque at some point. You have to stand up. You have to say, Allah is the only God and Muhammad is his prophet. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you're supposed to pray five times a day facing Mecca. And I think they pray at noon, uh, maybe in the, in the afternoon, uh, at, at dinner time, at sunset, and then maybe right before they go to bed. I'm not exactly showing the five times, but it's five specific times a day. You're supposed to bow down, you're supposed to pray. Uh, you're supposed to give alms to the poor, give money to the poor. You're supposed to fast during the month of Ramadan. Now, the way they do it is you can eat before sun up, so wake up early and eat a big breakfast, and then you can't eat all day. After the sun goes down, you can eat to your heart's content. I've heard that most people actually gain weight on Ramadan. It's not a very good diet plan because you end up eating more uh, early in the morning, late at night. So... Uh, may work for them religiously, but not necessarily physically. But the fifth one would be uh, you're supposed to, all adults, 
once in their life are supposed to take a pilgrimage to the holy city of Mecca in Saudi Arabia. And the idea is if you do those five things, you do them faithfully enough, you'll die, you'll be accepted by Allah. Now I want us to kind of think for a second together of all the similarities, and we're not going to do all, but just the, the ones that maybe came to my mind first. Similarities between Christianity and uh, Islam. And the first would just be this, is pretty obvious. They believe in God. Christians and Muslims would say there is a God. They are not atheistic. They're theistic. The second thing would be they only believe in one God. They're monotheistic. So they're not polytheists. They believe in just one God. Third, they're not deist. They, they believe, Christians and Muslims would agree, God is active in the world today. Right? You, you're familiar with the term deism. There are some people that believe this was kind of Thomas Jefferson's belief and some of the founders of America that God made the world, but then he just kind of threw it out there. He wound it up like a clock, and everything's just running on its own. He's not intimately involved in the world. Christians and uh, Islamic people would both disagree about that. Both would say that Jesus is a great prophet. I, I think I'm right in this, that Muslims would say, yeah, Jesus is a great prophet. Second only to Muhammad, he's a great prophet. Both believe in prayer. Both believe in fasting. Both believe in helping the poor. Both believe in the necessity of faith. And meaning that you have to believe in things that you can't necessarily prove 100%, that you can't touch, see, hear with your five senses. Both believe in an afterlife, heaven and hell. Both believe in a holy book. We could keep going. Both of them started in the Middle East. Both of them, in a sense, would, would trace some of their roots back to Abraham. They would say they're an Abrahamic religion. So, I don't want to beat that dead horse too long, but I just want to say, there are a lot of similarities. And so, if you're ever having a conversation with somebody, and they say, all religions are the same, one of the ways that you might engage the person is say, well, you know what? There are a lot of similarities. And just be honest about that. But the second thing I want to talk about is what I would think is the biggest difference between Christianity and Islam, and it's just this. Jesus is God. Christians are founded on the belief that the Lord Jesus Christ is God himself, come in the flesh, and Muslims would think that is blasphemy to say that. Okay, so if you have a Bible, let's open up to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, a very famous verse. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's talking to his 12 disciples. He's giving them a lot of kind of final teaching. And at one point... John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And if you have a Bible there and you have a pen, you might even want to underline the the three different times because that word is crucial in this verse. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, the idea is this. Jesus says, if you really want to know God, if you want to have a saving relationship with God, it has to be through me. I'm the mediator. I am the way to get to God. Yes, I'm a prophet, but I'm not just kind of the prophet that tells you the way or points to the way. I'm, much, I'm not less than a prophet. I'm much more than a prophet. I am God in the flesh. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the light. I am salvation. Now, think about Muhammad. Muhammad would have never said something like this. Muhammad might have said, I can tell you the way. I can show you the light. I can point you to God. But he would have never said, I am the way. In fact, to say something like this in his mind would have been blasphemous. Another thing while we're talking about this, and let's just be honest about it. It's a little crazy. 
There, there's mysteries to our faith, is there not? But Christians believe in the Trinity. A faithful Muslim, they would say they're good at math. They'd say, hey, one God, one person. It's Allah. And we say, no, 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 one God, three persons. And if they want to press us on how that works in an equation, it doesn't work. It's a mystery. Our God is bigger than we can get our minds around. One God who exists in three persons who are equal. And this is part of what Jesus is talking about here. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Let's just read a couple more verses to see this. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Basically, you don't understand me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak them on authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, when Jesus lived, he did many miracles. He even raised people from the dead. And that was one of the things that he gave as evidence to say, I'm not just a mere man or a prophet. I'm literally God in the flesh. Flip over to the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. Jesus has died on the cross. That's another thing you know that Muslims do not believe that Jesus died on the cross. Muslims believe that at the last minute, God snatched Jesus away, took him up to heaven, and somehow Judas got put on the cross and Judas died. They don't believe Jesus died on the cross. Christians believe that Jesus literally physically died on the cross. Then he was buried, and then he rose again physically, and he began showing himself to his disciples. He showed himself to a group of disciples one time, and one of the disciples wasn't there. He was sick, or he stayed home, he skipped church that day, whatever it was. All right, Thomas didn't show up. And later, Thomas, we're going to pick up with what he had to say. John chapter 20, and let's look in verse 25. So that other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, this is Thomas, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now let me just point out one thing that I think will be helpful to us in verse 27. Notice that Jesus doesn't come and rebuke Thomas. He said, you, you, had, you had questions? Because listen, what we believe, humanly speaking, it is a little crazy that dead people can rise again from the dead. Jesus said, Thomas, you had legitimate questions. I have legitimate answers. And if you have friends that are investigating Christianity, or maybe they have doubts about Christianity, don't scorn them. Don't look down on them. Hear their skepticism. Hear their questions. And then try to engage them, and from the Scriptures, give them good answers. Okay? That's what Jesus did. Now look at Thomas's response. Thomas answered him in verse 28, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Have you ever heard people say, Well, you know, technically Jesus never clearly said in the Bible he's God. That's not true. <laughs> but here's one of the clearest places. Somebody falls down and worships him and says, You're my Lord. You're my God. And this was a Jewish person who, who had such reverence for Yahweh. A lot of times they wouldn't even say his name. And he's saying, you are God. And Jesus didn't rebuke him. He received the worship. 
Now imagine somebody coming up to Muhammad and falling on their knees and saying, you're my Lord, you're my God. I mean, literally, I'm not trying to exaggerate it. Muhammad probably would have had the person killed for blasphemy, for calling a man God. They, they don't think that way. Here's, here's another thing. When Jesus talked about God as Father back in John chapter 14, you realize Muslims wouldn't do that. Muslims will talk about God as high, as holy, as lofty, as transcendent, as other than, as different, as better than, as far removed from us. But to talk about Him in intimate terms of, of a Father who's near to us, of a Savior who walked among us, they, they would think for us to talk this way is blasphemy. And yet Jesus invites it. And then also look at just the blessing again in verse 28. He says, listen, it's great to see and have proof and believe, but for people like us who've never seen, and yet we put our faith, there's an even greater blessing. There's a great blessing by having the gift of faith to believe that he's the one true God. Now flip back to John chapter 6. The major difference, the one major difference is Jesus is God. That's the most distinct thing about our faith. But then there's a second thing. That's the second most important distinction between Christianity and Islam, but guys, really between Christianity and every other world religion. And it's this. We believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works. And if you've grown up in a Christian home, we can get so used to hearing that that we kind of become numb to it, right? Yeah, yeah, salvation is by grace, just faith, no works, Jesus died on the cross. When you do a compare and contrast of world religions, you realize what a radical thought process that is. Because most other religions, and even some so-called versions of Christianity, some denominations, say, yeah, of course you have to have faith in God, but you have to have works too. It's a faith plus works. And Christ is very clear to say, no, salvation is by faith alone. Let's look in John chapter 6. A lot of Jewish people were coming to Jesus. They were trying to understand him. They were trying to figure him out. They were asking him a lot of questions. There was this long back and forth dialogue. And in John chapter 6, verse 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believed in him whom he has sent. You want to know the work of salvation? It's just faith. It's just belief. It's look away from your own good works and look to another. Look to his good works in your place. Again, Muslims and other world religions wouldn't do that. They'll have their five tenets. They say, you've got to do this stuff. And you better do it sincerely. And you better do it genuinely. And you better do it good enough. It's not Christianity. Skip down to verse 35 and look what Jesus says. Another crazy statement, but true. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Just like to sustain physical life, you have to eat physical food, bread, you have to drink physical water, liquid. Jesus says, you want to be spiritually alive? You eat on me. You feast on me. You drink me. I, I am the only substance, so to speak, that can give anyone spiritual life. Just a few more verses from this chapter. Go to the very end of the chapter. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And uh, let's pick up in verse 65. And he said, still Jesus speaking, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go You have the words of eternal life, 
and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Another profession of faith, but this is what I love about this so much. Here's kind of my layman's translation of verse 68. It's basically like Peter says, you know what, Jesus? Some of the stuff you've been teaching sounds a little crazy to us too. Some of the things you've been teaching, we don't fully understand. We're not fully getting our mind around everything you're teaching. But we have come to believe this. You're the real deal. You're the one true God. Where else can we go? Even when we don't understand what you teach, maybe this might be more true for some of us, even when we don't like what you teach, we realize you're true and we've got to stay with you and we've got to submit to you because outside of you, there's no life, there's no hope. Now, another thing that I love about this, just Peter's raw honesty, is notice Peter says, where else would we go? The implication is nobody can save themselves. Nobody can figure it out on their own. We have to go to somebody to give us the answer. We have to go to somebody to give us salvation. And Christ is the only one who can truly give us that salvation. So, um, one last thought, guys. And uh, maybe two. We'll be done. Go to John chapter 7. Just flip over one chapter. One more little short story. Another one of my favorite places in the Bible. Jesus is teaching, and y'all know this, the religious leaders, for the most part, they hated Jesus. He was stealing their power, their thunder, their popularity. And so a lot of the religious leaders, very early on, they wanted to kill him, they wanted to arrest him. Jesus is teaching publicly, and at one point, the Pharisees, the scribes, they send guards to go arrest Jesus. And look at John chapter 7, skip down to verse 44. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. You see what happened? They, they sent out some of their soldiers, some of their guards, and said, Hey, go arrest Jesus, bring him back. And the guards come back in behind, and they said, Why didn't you arrest him? And it's like they're mesmerized. They're like, We showed up, and he was preaching, and it was amazing. And how could we arrest this guy? Nobody's ever talked like this guy. We, they were enthralled. And so here's what I'd say to you, because I, I, I don't know all of you personally. I don't know where you stand in your relationship with Christ. If there's any doubts, if there's any skepticism, one of the best things you can do is just take the Gospel of John and just read through it slowly. And if you have a friend maybe that you're talking to about Christ and they have questions, they have doubts, they trust in another world religion, Take them to the Gospel of John. I mean, it was written for this purpose, to lead people to Christ. And slowly read it with them and expose them to the life, the works, and the words of Jesus. And pray that they'll have this same experience. And here would just be my last thought. The major difference between Jesus and every other world religious leader throughout history, whether that's Muhammad, Gandhi, Buddha, whoever, Confucius, is this. Only Jesus can forgive us of our sins. Only Jesus died for us and then rose again for us as a substitute in our place for his people. And that's the part probably that resonates the most for me. Because as best I know my own story, I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years. No, excuse me, almost 40 years. I came to Christ really young. I'm, I'm trying to make myself younger than I am. I'm coming up on four decades, as best I can tell, of being a genuine Christian. And you know what? I hadn't quit sinning yet. I want to quit sinning. I'm trying to quit sinning. Not as much as I should, right? 
And I've made progress. I'm not sinning as much as I used to. I'm not sinning in as big and bad, scandalous ways as I used to. But there's still sin in my life. And if we don't have a merciful God sitting on the judgment seat, throne in the cosmic courtroom of the universe, we're all goners. If it depends on works at all, we're all lost. My favorite thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is He's a merciful high priest who loves to show kindness and forgiveness to those of us that are still struggling with sin. But we come and confess because Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone hearing this, myself included, that we would never get bored with the basic facts of the gospel. But that every time we are reminded of just the most simple truths of Scripture, there really would be a fresh sense of awe and wonder. And Lord, I pray for my heart, and again, I pray for all of our hearts, that when we think about your grace, there'd be gratitude. And it wouldn't just be a passive gratitude. And it wouldn't just be a gratitude that wants to sing. It'd be a gratitude that wants to live a life of obedience. A life of saying thank you. Because you have been so good to us. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.